Hey there, it's Dr. Stacy Cordovano. As a veterinary professional, you can learn to be happier, healthier, wealthier, and more grateful for the life that you've created. This podcast is here to help you find the resources to do just that. I will speak with outside-of-the-box thinkers to hear new ideas on ways to improve our day-to-day lives. Together, we will create a community of veterinarians working towards positive change. Welcome to The Whole Veterinarian. Hello, hello. I hope you're doing well. I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today, Matt Saloy and I connected on LinkedIn a while ago. I had seen him speaking at the AVMA Economic Summit a couple of years ago and started following him there. And although I don't log in a lot, every time I do, I get to laugh and have a small moment of joy because Matt has the best dad jokes. And so make sure you're following him on LinkedIn if you're not already. But he also has a wealth of knowledge and a really interesting background that combines to make what I think is a super unique and helpful perspective on our industry. So formally, let me introduce you to Matt Saloy. He is currently the president of the Veterinary Study Groups, VSG, where he's responsible for enhancing the economic and cultural success of more than 1,800 veterinary member practices. He was more recently the chief economist and head of the Veterinary Economics Division at the AVMA. He also has a background in higher education and animal pharma, all of which helped to create this really interesting perspective on vet med. I'm so thankful for the time he spent chatting with me about recruitment, retention, and really creating a more supportive work environment. I hope you'll glean a new perspective after listening to this chat. I know that a few of my ideas were certainly challenged and expanded, and I'm so thankful to him for that. So please enjoy. Thank you so much for joining me today, Matt. How are you? I'm doing great, Stacy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited. I feel like I could talk to you or ask you about a billion different things. But first, <laughs> do you want to introduce yourself to any listeners that do not know who you are? Yeah, absolutely. Appreciate that. So Matt Saloy, I am the president of veterinary management groups. I've been in that role for about uh, three months now, <laughs> going really well. Prior to that, I was chief economist at the AVMA for about four years or so. And uh, before that, spent some time uh, with Alanco Animal Health. And I'm just really happy to be chatting with you today, Stacey. Me too. Thanks for being here. So I first got to know you through your work at AVMA and the Economic Summit and things like that. And I find you very interesting because I know you must be a numbers person, but in everything that you share... You do also seem to have a big focus on the personal aspect of veterinary medicine, and I think that's a unique and helpful for us veterinarians take on things rather than just being purely numbers focused as um, some economic people must be, right? (laughs) Yeah. You know, some folks, their eyes just sort of glaze over when they hear the word economics or economists there. And that's a, that's a fair opinion for sure. No, but I appreciate that. I think, you know, I don't know how familiar you are or your, maybe your, uh, your listeners, a number of personality profiling, right? And insights is one that I've come to know and 
describes people through their colors. And blue is definitely a dominant one for me, which is very analytical and and numbers driven and detail oriented. But surprisingly, my, my dominant color is green, which is just people. And engaging and interacting with with others there, right? you know, I love the numbers, but um, putting it into the context of how it can support people just so important and, and more interesting to me, honestly. I don't actually know that personality profile, but I okay. love all of that stuff. So now I'm gonna have to yeah, go you'll have to look that. at Insights <laughs> Discovery. That Google yeah. it. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, so like I said, I feel like we could have gone a zillion different directions, and maybe we will by the end of our conversation. But that sounds like fun. I'm gonna start with a really big question because I feel like for me it's complex in the work that I'm doing here and the and the work that I do as a business owner and things like that. So um what is the first thing that comes to your mind when people bring up the dilemma of being more profitable in veterinary medicine while also considering the strain on an individual veterinarian and their well being? Yeah. Oh, gosh. So we could spend a lot of time just on that question. I think it's wholly complicated. And I think in addressing that balance between, you know, profit and and people, it's become increasingly more complicated. And I think, you know, if we just take a step back to reflect on, you know, our journey as a, you know, as a society and as an economy, you know, in a few short decades, I think we've come a really long way in recognizing the importance of expanding beyond mere profitability as a priority for businesses. I'm an economist, so it's no surprise you you have to be profitable, right? So you mm-hmm. need to be economically sustainable if you're going to survive and thrive as an organization. And it's the right thing to do for your people as well. If you're not profitable, you're not supporting their sustainability as employees and team members. Right. So that's critically important. But I think we've seen, you know, and we've witnessed this through the, you know, the great minds of individuals like Adam Grant and and Liz Fosslin and others who really, have, I think, have demonstrated for us all the importance of prioritizing people in any organization, for-profit, non-profit, government organizations. When you do that, in my opinion, and I think a lot of the data shows, is that you become more successful a- as an organization prioritizing your people is really, I think, a lever in some ways for for managers and leaders to position their organization for success, including profitability amongst many other metrics too. Those are great references and certainly very inspirational. Do you come across practice owners that don't understand that or aren't willing to wrap their heads around the idea that by supporting their team members, they actually will end up being more profitable or more productive? You know, I think if we take an honest answer to that question, it's it's yes. And those managers and, and individuals, they're out there in any profession or industry. So it's not singular to to veterinary medicine. I think sometimes we think we're we're special or we're different. And, you know, in a lot of ways we are. Um, but it's still a, an industry and an organization that's comprised of people. And people are people, Right. And so there, there is still challenges and gaps with respect to maybe where some managers or leaders of a, of a veterinary practice or any organization for that matter isn't wholly recognizing or willing to accept the reality of, of true leadership and what it means today, which is very different, like we mentioned a number of shoot, few short decades ago. It's it's there. I, you know, I, I I am the the eternal optimist, though, in that, you know, I, I think they're definitely not the majority. 
And, and I do think it's a, it's a shrinking number of managers in, in veterinary practices as we continue to evolve and transform as a profession our, ourselves. And admittedly, I think to be fair, it's become harder to be a manager and a leader too. In an ever complex, seemingly ever more volatile and uncertain society, economy, and environment, it's difficult. So I'm in this position where, you know, I'm a practice owner. I'm involved with AAP for changing some of the practice ownership ideals or goals, considering our retention issues that we particularly in equine sector have. Yes. Not that not all of veterinary medicine doesn't have. And then I'm also involved with this project and on social media with a lot of younger veterinarians. And I see this huge disconnect. And I struggle, aside from just educating both sides better, right, for the younger vets, what it actually costs to employ a veterinarian and come up with their salary. And for the older veterinarians, you know, better management and workplace culture sure. topics. I guess I struggle to connect the two in a way that, you know, might benefit both sides. So I was curious if you have any insight on ways that we or the veterinary industry in general can be bridging that gap. Yeah, that's a great question. I think you'll find a lot of different answers and approaches here. And I think there's a you know vast number of things that that you and others in your position can do. For me, it all starts with intent and being intentional. So you have to want to go down the, this road of um, taking care of your people and positioning your your practice, your business, whatever it may be, as one that's culturally thriving for your people. And to your earlier question, that doesn't need to be, nor is it ever truly separate from your goals as a business manager to be profitable. I think we're learning ever more the role of developing a cohesive team and creating an engaged team that is surrounded by feelings of psychological safety, uh, they will prioritize their work. They will be more productive, and that will translate into more success for your business. But as a leader and a manager, again, you have to be intentional about it. It's not going to happen on its own. And it's certainly not an easy or overnight process either. You, you can't decide to turn the ship and expect you know real change in a short amount of time. You know, with anything that generates and, and exudes true success, you know, it takes consistency over a period of time, chipping away at it. And, and leadership and developing a team that's cohesive, that's engaged, that's thriving is, is truly no different there. Psychological safety is a huge um, passion topic of mine. I submitted a paper for AAP on it this year. So Wonderful. I'd love to dig into that actually with you if you are willing. So just to reiterate, psychological safety is the idea that a person can be comfortable, open, safe to ask questions without fear of retribution. And how do you see practice owners? Well, in my opinion, it sort of needs to come from the top down, right? right. To create that place. What do you see as ways that owners or managers can increase psychological safety for their team? Great question. You know, and I think a lot of it's going to depend on the the circumstances of the practice, specifically what they need to do and what their situation looks like. But I think a, a common denominator for everyone is making sure that there's an establishment of trust. I think a lot of us think that there's trust without really understanding the presence of it. And and true trust means an ability to say what you want in a respectful way without retribution. And that's 
going back to your definition of psychological safety there, if you have that trust and that psychological safety, you will find that a practices or a team's ability, for example, to, to manage conflict is, is far more successful there. And, and that goes to the second step, establishing the trust. And then secondly, addressing conflict. There's always conflict. No, no organization that's built up of people is conflict free. The challenge here is to address it proactively, whether it's something significant, like a caustic member of your team that you're not willing to let go because there's a labor talent uh, shortage or just for whatever other reason, or something more more shallow, like members of your team just don't feel like they're advancing in their career. I mean, that that's also a conflict too. Mm-hmm. Um, and all that ties back into retention and these other metrics that that we look at to look at the health of the organization from a people perspective. So being intentional about establishing trust, about establishing ability to to manage conflict successfully, those are those are common denominators, I think, that represent really solid starting points for any manager or leader. Okay. And then let's switch a little bit to that issue of retention and recruitment throughout the entire veterinary industry. What are your feelings on where we're at currently? Yeah, bad. <laughs> it's bad. It, it it is. And I and I and you know, I used to sugarcoat it, I think, but um I don't think that does much service for anybody. Sure. So, you know, no surprise here, I'll, I'll pull out the data on this. Um and this is data from the American Veterinary Medical Association. But when we look at turnover amongst veterinary professionals and compare them to other health professions, they're amongst the highest of them. The average turnover for a DVM is is approaching 20%, and that's more than twice an average turnover for a physician working in private practice. And amongst the ones that we looked at, turnover for veterinary technicians is the highest, even higher than a registered nurse in human medicine, which have notoriously high high rates of turnover. So it's it's a significant challenge. And it's also, um, it's not the disease, it's it's the symptom. I think we really have to look at it through that lens. When you have high turnover, oftentimes it's a it's a signal of low engagement, low trust, low psychological safety, and also high inefficiency, low productivity there. And so it, it's a good leading indicator, I think, to establish where we are as a profession or even as an individual practice in terms of what's happening within your practice from a people side. And it's definitely something that we've got to focus on and prioritize as a profession in every individual practice as well. That turnover rate, does that also tie into the cost of burnout? I know you were in a group that did a study on the cost of burnout in the veterinary field, and it's a $1 to $2 billion cost for burnout. annually. And I have to imagine that turnover rate and all that you just mentioned is sort of all-inclusive in that. It is. You know, and just briefly... Really enjoyed doing that work with Dr. Clint Neal at Cornell University and, and Charlotte Hansen on staff at the Econ Division at AVMA. And, you know, really the, the purpose of that was to put an economic lens on something that truly is a more than just an economic problem, but wanted to demonstrate that there's an economic impact to burnout. And, and while those numbers are, are staggering, you know, this literature is pretty well staked out in other professions. I think we're, we're kind of lagging here in, in, in veterinary medicine and bringing this to the forefront. And I think we're getting past this 
Um, but I think, you know, we really need to be at the point where we're not going to address burnout through individual actions like diet, sleep, exercise, and things like that. Not to discount that. Those are really important things that are part of any healthy lifestyle, right? But the ownership of burnout really is in the workplace and in the work environment. That's where the source of burnout is. And so that's where if we're going to take an upstream approach to solving this issue, that's where we need to be focused on um, is in the work environment, how we, how we address it there. And, and so when you look at a problem like turnover, you know, this is wholly tied to, for example, some of the challenges we're experiencing in our workforce. I mean, there's so much discussion on workforce and, and veterinary medicine. And again, it's a very complex problem. But imagine how better off a practice would be if their turnover was in the single digits. So, you know, 20%, if you're losing one out of five DVMs in a given year, and the turnover for technicians is approaching 50% or more, you're in this constant cycle of having to rehire. And anyone who's been in a position of, of hiring knows that the challenges involved in that. It's very time consuming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then nothing to say of all the other challenges of once you onboard that person and, and secure a hire, you know, it takes generally at least people a year to become proficient in their responsibilities. And not to say anything about the cultural dynamic, right? Getting to know your colleagues and, and working, particularly in a practice where you're dependent upon understanding how that person works, you know, the dynamic between technician and DVM, for example, it takes a while to get on that successful rhythm there. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's hugely problematic, you know, look at that turnover and the rate and we can, our jaws can drop, but there are all these unmeasurable problems that happen in an environment of high turnover. And so just imagine how much better off we'd be in our workforce situation as a profession if that turnover was reduced to single digits. It would go a huge, huge way. And so... I assume that those upstream changes do not look like pizza parties on Friday and, you know, I don't know what else, but what are some examples of organizational changes that, well, even like a small practice could make? I'm not talking about a big corporate owned practice. Sure. Uh, Sure. I mean, I think it can for sure. Right. I mean, so not to discount that, who doesn't love a good pizza party? Right. But if that's, if that's all you're doing, obviously you're, you're falling short. There was a great article that came out last year in the New York Times. Um, title of it was Good News. There's a, there's a labor shortage, you know, kind of provocative, right? Uh, written from a, an economist at, at MIT. And, and the point to the article was, and it's really accessible, I invite anyone just Google it and, and give it a quick read, was that we, we can't just look at the shortage from the employer perspective. Obviously, there's pain points there as an employer if you're trying to hire and spillover effects to your staff, you know, if, you're, you're short-staffed on the ones that are there. But the consequence of a labor shortage and through the eyes of economics here is that you're really forced to focus inward more on your current employees. There's nothing like scarcity to really drive the value of anything, um, and labor is no different. And so it really forces employers to look at pay, benefits, culture. You know, I think Discussions around, for example, in our profession around wages and earnings of, of technicians has always been important. But goodness, have we ever talked so much about it in the last 12 to 18 months and mm-hmm. made significant progress, right? Mm-hmm. And we have to ask ourselves, would we have made that progress in the absence of the labor situation that we're in? I'm not so sure. Um, and so to address the, the workforce challenges in, in veterinary medicine, 
it's going to need to look at some of these upstream issues like addressing mental health needs, providing better pay and better benefits, providing professional development, increasing utilization of all staff members, especially technicians, which we know aren't always and aren't often effectively utilized, focusing in on the employee experience and their engagement. And I can't talk more enough about ways to improve productivity and efficiency is not everyone's favorite topic, but that is going to be so crucially important to getting us through our workforce challenges from the talent perspective that we're in. But it's also going to help, I think, pay dividends towards uh, well-being as well, uh, because everyone's working a lot harder these days. And if we can focus on efficiency and productivity and, and create less stress and strain in the work environment, not only does it benefit the practice and the ability to provide patient care, but then it also provides a dividend to well-being because you're not suffering so much through your job and through your work actions there. Yeah, your day-to-day improvements. Exactly. So I imagine that some or all, and maybe this is a broad assumption, but some of these topics are why you have moved into the position at VMG to try to help practice owners work through things like this. Is that a fair assumption? Yeah, very much so. You know, tremendous opportunity to work at a much more micro level with practice owners and, and, and veterinary practices more generally. I, I loved the work at AVMA, a lot of it very policy driven and, and, and macro level and focus, and it's really rewarding. What VMG offers is an opportunity to help shape and, and reimagine individual practices and support them in a way that's really granular and really, really micro. And so for, for the benefit of everyone, just to be clear on what VMG is, it's a, it's a study group that through benchmarking and the development of community creates a system of support for every practice owner. There's benchmarking that takes place. And I think the really magic ingredient here is the in-person meetings that take place between small groups of, of practice owners where they can share in a confidential and, and secure environment, a trusted environment, share their success stories share their pain points and their challenges, take deep dives into their practices and discover through a community how they can make each other better. And, you know, for me, going back to that green insights, you know, profile, this is just the sweet spot, right? I think community has always been important in veterinary medicine, but now more than ever, we've all been on this journey for the last two and a half years of trying to figure out life in this new environment, which seems to be ever more uncertain and ever more volatile. And I can't imagine a more important time to have a community to lean in on for support. And that's what VMG is. Yeah, a thousand percent agree. Community support in whichever fashion we can find it is vital to surviving veterinary medicine. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's so easy to fall out of community. I think that's the thing we have to be mindful of. And not just through COVID, right? I mean, that certainly did it for any number of reasons that are obvious. The other one is when you're so busy, the easiest thing to pull back of is is community. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so I think to push that, to elevate the importance of it in a moment where everyone is so, so burnt out and so busy is so important and to prioritize and again, be intentional about it. Yeah. I'm very guilty of just slogging through the day and not really focusing on the bigger picture and that being sort of the height of my burnout. And I think that taking a step back and leaning on other people for support is probably the only thing that pulled me out of it. So I agree. I think that it's really important to make it a priority. So 
I appreciate the work that you're doing over there and providing that. Um, I ask all of my guests, what is one small thing that has brought you joy this past week? Oh, goodness. I didn't warn you about that one. Sorry. You didn't. So, uh, well, I'll share this because it was just so recent. So yesterday was Father's Day and there was a, a Lego convention uh, nearby and my kids are really into that. Um, and so we went and we we met, I don't know if anyone's familiar with this this show called uh, Brick Masters. It's a Lego competition that's on, on TV and my kids are really into it. So they get to meet it. But at this convention, there was a, a Lego challenge you could participate in. And so we did. We split my family of six into groups. The My boys are really into it. My daughter just starting to um, get into it. Long story short, she wins the Lego challenge and just her face glowing with delight around because she's been hard on herself. You know, her brothers are a little further along. They've been yeah. doing it for a couple more years, but she did this and it was just it sh- showcased her creativity in a really fun way and just gave her the push that she needed to say, I'm all in on this. And it made her day. The rest of the day, she was just beaming. And to see that as a parent, to see your children so happy, just there's no greater reward. That's awesome. That's a great moment. I love that. Well, thank you so much for all the insight you've shared. It's been a really interesting perspective. I really enjoyed it. And thank you. Thank you for being here. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. Uh, Best wishes, Stacey, for you. Thanks again for listening. I so very much appreciate the time you spend with me. For more information or to sign up for our monthly newsletter, please check out the website at thewholeveterinarian.com. You can also connect with me on Instagram at thewholeveterinarian. If you loved this episode, please do me a favor and share it with a friend. Or if you feel so inclined, leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you again soon.